So we're going through a teaching series called The Problem of Jesus. And The Problem of Jesus is a book by Mark Clark that I'm kind of riffing off of. And the, the whole concept is that Christianity, really, it comes down to what are we going to do about Jesus? Um, when people hear about Jesus, what they think about Jesus, what they believe about Jesus determines a lot of what they're going to do with their life. And so the problem is, obviously, we're not calling Jesus a problem, but in a way, he is because he's kind of put us all on the spot. What are we going to do about Jesus? So last week, we talked about the historical Jesus, and today we're going to talk about the Bible. So I don't usually bring my actual Bible to church. This sits next to my little comfy chair where I have my uh, I call them quiet times. I know that's like so old-fashioned, but I have my quiet time with the Lord every morning. I have my Bible. I have some other books that I'm reading. I have my little prayer cards. Remember we handed out those prayer cards? I have my little prayer cards, people I'm praying for. And so, you know, we're going to talk about this right here. And I, I find that um, we are in a time when what the Bible really is, is kind of in, in question in church, not just in the world, but in church, I find that there are many Christians I talk to who can't tell me that the Word of God, that that is the Word of God, is how I'll say it. They can't say 100% that that's inspired by God, that it's inerrant, that's a big one that we, we wrestle with, and that it's for today. And there's so many questions that we have been told kind of in popular culture. And here's... Here's what I feel is true. I'm not, not saying I've researched this, but we, I think a lot of us hear these tidbits and we hold on to them without going any deeper. And so, you know, I just don't know if the Bible is inerrant because I've heard there's lots of discrepancies in it. And that's like a belief system then that like keeps the word of God at arm's length from you. Or I'm just not sure if I can, if this is the, you know, the word of God, because weren't there a bunch of like monks who just threw it together in like 500 years after Jesus rose from the dead. And so we keep, it keeps it at arm's length. And so the, what we normally don't do is spend the time to actually dig into that. Most of us, there's a few people who will, but most of us will hear those things and we're like, that must be true. I read it on Instagram. It was on a really cool TikTok. I don't know if I can believe the Bible anymore. And so I'm going to hold arms like, I know that people for thousands of years have, but I think that we've progressed to a point where we are smarter than anyone who's ever walked the face of the earth. And so what we think about the Bible, especially, enter, like, uh, what do you call them? Influencers, what they think about the Bible, it must be true. I'm not sarcastic at all about this. But we do, don't we? Like we, we read that like one person's like Instagram post that's 10 words long and we're like, oh my gosh, my faith is shaken. And so I want to like, we, why are we going through this series? And what I said last week was, you know, a lot of times, you know, our, our MO here for teaching is that we're, we're talking about how can we apply the word of God to our lives? And so each Sunday, I try to talk about the Bible in a way that's helpful. So it actually, you can go home and do something different with your life. Something that actually changes, trans we're, we're teaching on Sunday mornings here for transformation, not so much information, except this series, <laughs> because we are in a cultural moment where so many of what we just, I would say maybe a hundred years ago were assumed beliefs about Christianity have been questioned and challenged, and not just by people who are skeptics, but all people, for the most part, who are being raised in church even have these questions. And we sit around, I remember being in our youth group recently and asking some very specific questions and they were saying, I just don't know. 
And I said, yes, but the Bible says, says this. Yeah, but I just don't know. I just don't know if that's, and that's where we're at. And so we need to go back to the beginning. And we need to ask these questions. See, here's the thing I want to just get out in front of, a couple things. Number one, I'm not here to defend God. I don't think I need to. And I'm not here to defend the Bible. I also don't think I need to. I think that the word of God stands on its own two feet. All right, but I'm here to maybe help us look at some of these questions because I believe they're honest questions for the most part coming from an honest place where we're like, I want to follow God. I'm hungry for God, but there have some legitimate questions. So I want to deal with that. The second thing I'm going to say is I'm not a scholar. Okay, so I'm, I'm a pastor. I have a lot of experience being a pastor and preaching and studying the word of God, but I'm not a scholar, right? And so just take this, you know, understand that I am getting ahead of that. I'm sure everything I say here won't be 100% accurate. I'm sure I'll make some mistakes. I'm sure I could be wrong. I interpret the Bible through my own interpretive grid and all that good stuff, okay? And the other thing I would say is that I've been telling you that I've been teaching out of this book, but I'm really not today. So the book launched me in a different direction, and so I've got a bunch of sources I've used. If you're interested, I can send you my sources after the teaching. All right, that's all I wanted to say. So here we are. What's up with the Bible? All right, so I think the first question we need to ask is, is the Bible inspired and authoritative? Because if it's not, then oh well, let's move on. Why are we treating this any different than any other ancient text? But if it is, does that matter? Does it matter if God inspired a, a written work for you and you and I? And of course, that goes back to, do you believe in God? So obviously, like we're kind of here in church. I'm assuming most of us are there. Some of you might be exploring that. But if you believe in God and in, in who God is, and then you believe that God inspired this, then this has authority. Not because it's the Bible, but because God spoke, right? If it's God's word, there, uh, there and it has authority. So we have to deal with this. Is it inspired and is it authoritative? So much of life depends on this, Right? Who is God? Who are we? What's the meaning of life and the purpose of life? Why are we here? How do we live the good life? How do we live the life that we're intended to live? Or is there no meaning and no God? So there's some big questions. People are like, well, I don't know that it really matters if you know whether it's inspired or not. Like, what if I just have a different opinion about that? I actually, I'm going to argue that it's actually important we wrestle this to the ground. So I'm going to start with, what did Jesus think? Okay, that's a good place to start, I think. All right, so we're going to build on this. What did Jesus think? Did Jesus think that the scripture was authoritative and inspired? And Jesus, when he talked about scripture, was talking about what we would call the Old Testament. So he had the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. He would have memorized many of them, and he would have known them from birth and raised in them, saturated in them. So I'm just going to give you one example because I have so many. This is like, okay, it's going to feel like a lecture. I have a lot of points you should take notes. You should hang in there. It's going to be okay. But I'm just going to throw out a verse for every little thing, but I, there's more. Okay, so this one right here, it could be a teaching. This one point could be its own teaching. In John, Jesus is being uh, confronted. He's being, some Pharisees are going to try to stone him. And he says, why are you stoning me? Is it for the, the, the people that I've healed? Like, is it for the good things I've done or the good things I've said? Which one are you stoning me for? We're not stoning you for any good work, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Put that one just in your back pocket. We're coming back to that in two weeks. Talk about his claims to be God, okay? And Jesus said, is it not written? 
And I want you just to catch, this is a thing that Jesus does on a regular basis. When Jesus was led into the wilderness and tempted by Satan himself, each time Satan tried to tempt him, how did he respond? It is written. He didn't didn't pray, actually. He didn't rebuke him. He quoted truth towards the lies. He said, it is written, and therefore it is settled. There was a sense that Jesus had, okay, about the Old Testament that I think we struggle to have. Just like, I want, the, I want you to honestly like, just wrestle with that one a little bit. What if Jesus took the Old Testament more seriously than you and I do? You gotta go through some mental gymnastics then if you're like, well, he was raised Jewish and, you know, but it's just different now. Jesus said, is it not written in your law that I have said you are God's? Now, he's quoting an obscure verse in Psalm, Psalms, and he's talking about one little word in Psalms to make his argument. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside. So what's his assumption? Scripture is inspired and authoritative. What about the one whom the father set apart at his very, on his very own and sent him into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I say I am God's son? He goes back to David's writings thousands of years before and picks one word out of Psalms and says, because the Bible says this, I can say this. There's a great book called Unbreakable, what the Son of, Man, what the Son of God thinks about the Word of God. It's very short and very accessible, and I, I was really interesting if you want to go deeper on this. But that book basically argues that he saw Scripture as authoritative, inspired, unbreakable, coherent from beginning to end, and all pointing to him. So Jesus saw Scripture as authoritative, as coherent, as inspired, as coming from God. Not man writing what he thought about God, but God writing through man. And this is what Jesus thought. In fact, if this, we could... You could argue that we could end the teaching right here, okay? Let's read this from that book I was talking to you about. Ultimately, our trust in the Bible stems from our trust in Jesus, okay? The man who is God, the king of the world, the crucified, risen, and exalted rescuer. I don't trust in Jesus because I trust in the Bible. I trust in the Bible because I trust in Jesus. You should, like, take a picture of this one. I love him, and I've decided to follow him. So if he talks, listen, catch this. If he talks and acts as if the Bible is trustworthy, authoritative, good, helpful, and powerful, I will too, even if some of my questions remain unanswered and, or some of my answers remain unpopular. Because it was Jesus who said, look, people are going to be mad at you. They're going to, they're going to, disown you. They're going to want to kill you, but don't worry. It's not because of anything you've done. It's just because you're preaching my words. So Jesus thought that the Old Testament, at least, okay, was authoritative and inspired. Did Jesus think what he was teaching was authoritative and inspired? Did Jesus think he was continuing the tradition of inspired scripture? Jesus says, if any, anyone who loves me will do what? Obey my teaching. He elevates his teaching, and this is just one example. Guys, this, is, this should be an easy point, right? We shouldn't have to argue about this. He over and over and over again elevates his teaching to the level of the Old Testament scripture. My father will love them. They will come and be with, 
uh, come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. He is speaking the revelatory word of God just like when Moses wrote and when David wrote and when other writers of the Old Testament wrote. He is putting his words on par with the Old, Te- Old Testament scripture. So, okay, what about the apostles? So, okay, like we, we love Jesus. There's really no problem with that. We think Jesus knew he was doing. But what about the apostles when they were writing their books and their letters? Were they writing and thinking they were writing scripture? So I want to just show you a few things. This is a continuation of this verse. Are you with me? Okay. So Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. The words you hear from me are not my own. They come from God. All this I've spoken to you while still with you, but the Holy Spirit will come and will teach you all things and remind you of what? All this stuff that I've been teaching you that everyone has to obey. So he's like, listen, I have more to say to you. The Holy Spirit's going to come and teach you the rest and remind you of all the things I've been teaching you. This is a specific promise to this specific group of people who are then going to be commissioned to write the Bible, okay? In Timothy, Paul says this, for scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Now we're really getting into the weeds here, okay? But I want to answer these questions with stuff better than just like, just trust me. Go research, like, okay, this is what I say, we don't have to, like, the Bible stands on its own. God stands on his own. This stuff is there if you're willing to spend the time and look for it. Paul wrote, for scripture says this. Guess what? So he, you would assume he's talking about the Old Testament, right? Because at that time, he's, scripture is the Old Testament. Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. That is in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 25. And the worker deserves his wages. He's building an argument for people who do the work of the gospel deserving to be paid for their work. And he builds it on a verse in the Old Testament and then a verse in Luke. Right out of the gates, he's referring to, he knows Luke has written this book about the, word, about the life of Jesus. We know Paul and Luke know of each other because they traveled together. We find out about that in Acts. And he's referring to this gospel as scripture, not as, and also like Luke recorded Jesus saying this. We also see Peter he, talking about Paul. So see how this works. Peter is not talking about Paul. He says, Paul writes the same way in all his letters, speaking um, in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Can I get an amen? We've been there, right? Paul writes some stuff that's hard to understand. Even Peter was saying that, which ignorant and unstable people distort. Also true still. As they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. All right, so I just want to be real here. And I don't want to call you out. I I, I want to say, like, I'm okay with this being processed. But if I were to make a hard argument for the New Testament, especially the letters of Paul, I would say, what if you existed in 60 AD, 30 years, you know, 25 years after Jesus had risen from the dead and you met Peter? And Peter had spent day after day with Jesus and then was, it was said that he, the, the church would be built upon him, okay? And then he was the first to preach ever at Pentecost. 3,000 people say, you, you would know about these things. They wouldn't feel like long ago fairy tale things. You, if you lived in these towns, you would have met people who, who were there. 
You would have met people who were there. And if you met Peter and you were like, Peter, what do we do with this guy, Paul? I was at this church and they were reading his letters. And he's like, yeah, you need to treat them like you treat the scripture, like you treat Isaiah, like you treat Psalms. You need to treat them like you treat the scripture. If Peter said that to you, would you be like, but, but Peter, have you read them? But Peter, Paul wasn't even with Jesus. He, he's, I'm, I'm asking you, like, think about this. Would you argue with the, the rock that the church is? That's what his name Peter means, right? Rock. Would you, the rock, like Dwayne Johnson, right? Would you argue with the rock of the early church? Would you be like, or would you be like, take his word for it? Because here's the thing. Not every believer gets to sit right in front of Jesus and have Jesus tell them what to do. We have, we're built into a tradition. And so Peter is telling us, you can and should treat Paul's words as what? Inspired and authoritative. Just wrestle with that, okay? Um, yeah. I mean, it's worth talking about. Okay. Paul's writing to the Galatians and he says, I'm astonished you're turning away from the gospel. Listen, if we or an angel from heaven preach a gospel other than the one we've already preached, let them be under God's curse. What he's saying is crazy. Think about this. There is, a, now this, go, if you go research, like, there is like a, the body of the teachings of Jesus and the early disciples, they would call it like the faith, okay, that's been passed down to you, all right? But he's saying, if I was to come back myself and preach something different than this, don't do it. Or if an angel from heaven, because what we've written is scripture, it's authoritative. It's radical. Okay. Did the early Christians. So let's, let's like, okay, the, the disciples start to die off. Now we know the disciples had disciples. Okay. Um, John, I believe, had the disciple Polycarp. You have to go look this up. But he, there's writings we have from Polycarp who talks about church meetings where they'd read from a scroll of the Old Testament and then they'd read some from the Gospels and they treated it the same. So right out of the gate, even, all right, so I've tried to make the argument. Jesus thought it was authoritative. Jesus thought what he was doing authoritative. The apostles thought what they were doing was authoritative. And the people who came right after the apostles thought what they were doing was authoritative. You with me? Okay. It's just like begging the question of like why we think we know better, okay? So Clement, first century Christian, first century, right out of the gates, leader of the church in Rome, personally knew the apostles, ordained by Peter himself, possibly Clement we find out about in Philippians. This is what he said. Let us act accordingly to that which is written, for the Holy Spirit says, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. He's driving us towards the word of God. Look carefully into the scriptures, which are the true utterance of the Holy Spirit. Look carefully into the scriptures. Early on, they would, we're about to get into this, but they would have had 22 of the 27 books. Verifiably, yes, this is scripture. The gospels, the writings of Paul, they would have had that as yes. There's five that were debated over the centuries, but 22 of the 27 were agreed upon. And he's saying, listen, we gotta read these. Justin Martyr, unfortunate last name because he ended up being martyred. So it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. But as a joke. He's called Justin Martyr because he was martyred. Okay. He was a philosopher, a theologian, in the, one of the first apologists. He was arrested and beheaded for his faith. He said this, when you hear the utterances of prophets spoken as it were personally, you must not suppose that they were spoken by the inspired men themselves, but by the divine word who moves them. Okay. What's he talking about? He's talking about the inspiration of scripture. 
He's saying, look, when you're reading Paul's letters and you're reading Peter's letters and you're reading John's letters, don't just assume that they're men writing out of their knowledge. No, there's something deeper going on. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit. Irenaeus, late second century, so we're getting a little bit further along. He, was, uh, he learned from Polycarp, which I talked about. So John, Polycarp, Irenaeus. Can you imagine being able to trace your discipleship to Jesus back to John? It'd be like, whoa. Okay, he wrote this thing against heresies. He said, the scriptures are indeed perfect since they were spoken by the word of God, Christ and his spirit. Okay, last one. How many, I don't want to ask that. If you've checked out, just know that I, it's not always like this. Okay, Augustine, philosopher, theologian of the fourth century. Therefore, whatever he wanted us to read concerning his words and deeds, he commanded the disciples, his hands to write. I'm going to just tell you, like, I believe that. Like I, when I read the Bible, when I hold this, I, I, I believe this. And yeah, sure, like there's, there's some faith involved there. We could get into that. Like there's a whole philosophical discussion about how everything that you think and believe requires faith, okay? There's some faith involved here, but I'm saying there's a lot of evidence that what we're holding right here was originally thought to be the inspired word of God, and we've done an incredible job maintaining its integrity through the generations, and so I'm holding what Augustine was holding, what Polycarp was holding, for the most part. For the most part. And Augustine would tell you that whatever God wanted us to know, he commanded his disciples to write. Hence, one cannot but receive what he reads in the Gospels, though written by the disciples, as though it were written by the very hand of the Lord himself. I know that's radical for like our Western society. It seems to me that most disastrous consequences must follow upon our believing that anything false is found in the sacred books. Okay. Here's my question to you. If Jesus viewed the Old Testament and his teachings as inspired and authoritative, and the apostles and the earliest Christians viewed them both as inspired and authoritative, how will we view them? That's the question. How do you view this? We have a decision to make, and this is why it's a problem. It's a problem because it, it, it's, it's in your face. Once you know it, then you have to be, you're accountable for it. So if God spoke through people, right, an oral tradition that became a written tradition, we become accountable for what's written here, whether we like what's in there at all times or not. Okay, we're going to get to that. You guys still with me? I feel like we need like a coffee break. Okay. Believe me, like if you're new, I'm normally so funny. There's like lots of laughter. I hand out, you know, candy, right? It's just a true statement, toys. But like today, it's just a little bit more serious. Okay. People are like, I'm never going back to that church. It's boring. Okay. Do you know my greatest fear? See, I'm riffing right now because I feel it and I, I'm insecure. My greatest fear is that people are bored when I talk at all times in life, no matter where I am. Okay. So if it's, is the Bible inspired and authoritative? Most people, when they teach a teaching similar to this, will start with this verse. I wanted to land here before we transition to the next thing, because all of that that we just studied is why this is written. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Why is it important that we believe that this is the inspired and authoritative word of God? Because it is useful for how we live our lives. 
Catch that, okay? All right. The next thing I think we should ask, and this is the last thing, is, is it accurate? In other words, is what I'm holding here actually what they were talking about? Because didn't a bunch of monks just throw it together? Like 500 years later, weren't they just like in some, in some room like arguing and like picking their favorites? And wasn't there like, well, we really want to find ones that speak evil about women. So let's grab those and put them in there, right? I mean, is that, isn't that what they were doing? Like we want to establish our, our male dominance and, and, and we want to, whatever. Like I, I've heard all those things. So what is, the, what is actually the truth about what happened there? Did they not have scriptures? Did, did the early church not have an idea of what the scriptures were? They were like, when you picture the early church, it's just like, well, they were just kind of like, just like flying by the seat of their pants. And they did these letters would come around once in a while from Paul. And then after that, we don't know what happened because it was 500 years later that they made the Bible. Guys, that is just simply not true. You know, like popular knowledge, things that make it into the popular, like agreed upon knowledge, but it's just wrong. That's part, that's what that is. Like, you know, what's his name? Dan Brown with the Da Vinci code and all that stuff. He popularized that idea. It's actually an older idea that originated like, I think in 900 AD, but it's, it's an inaccurate idea. It's an inaccurate idea to say that the council of Nicaea, which is what most people talk about. I think it was in 352, that that is when it was established. Okay. That is actually not true. In the Council of Nicaea, they didn't even do that. They met to discuss heresies around the divinity of Christ. And then they wrote, therefore, the Nicaean Creed. It wasn't about the Bible. Okay, let's talk about it. Yeah, I said that. All right. So this whole concept that it wasn't for 350 years is false. I'm reading, this is from a guy, his name is Michael Kruger. He's a theologian. He says, this raises an important fact about the New Testament canon so if you're really, if you don't know what canon means, that's just like the agreed upon, the canon, the agreed upon what is in the Bible that every Christian should know. The shape of our New Testament canon was not determined by a vote or by a council, but by a broad and ancient consensus. Here we can agree with Bart Ehrman, the can, and who doesn't love to agree with Bart? He's really nice. The canon of the New Testament was ratified by widespread consensus rather than by official proclamation. It was more that when councils later on, it was more they recognized what already was than they determined what was not. The historical reality is a good reminder that the canon is not just a man-made construct. It was not the result of a power play brokered by rich cultural elites in some smoke-filled room. It was the result of many years of God's people reading, using, and responding to these books. You get to choose whether you agree with that. But the reality is that these compilations started way before 350. Early on, you see the early church using these things called codexes. And basically, a codex is just different than a scroll. A scroll would be one book, and it would be on a scroll. Okay? A codex would be something they started to put together. It would put many books together. And actually, the early church started using these a couple hundred years before they became popular in Greco-Roman culture. A little bit of evidence right there that we were starting to put these things together into an accumulated work, not called the Bible, Obviously, it wasn't called, you know, Biblios, right? It's just library, right? This is a, a library of books written over thousands of years by many authors that tells the unified story of God and his people. It's a unified story from beginning to end. But right out of the gates, we had that. The four gospels, Acts, and the letters of Paul have never been disputed. Just hear that. 22 of the 27 books in 180 were part of this guy, Muratorian. He put together, 
his own list, 22 of the 27 that we have now. There's evidence of stuff like that happening even before then. But I want you to hear this. Like you're sitting there reading your Bible, you're like, what what about, what about, right? and, And I don't have time to go into this, but like they had early on designation of books that were definitely in, books that they weren't sure about, books that were helpful but not scripture, and books that were heresy. They had kind of four groups of books. And so some of those ones in the disputed category were things like James and Hebrews and a couple others. And those were disputed for some time, right? Do you can choose to throw them out if you want to? No, I'm just kidding. You shouldn't throw them out. But Christians over the centuries had some disputation around whether they were actually as authoritative as, say, the other 22. So it's not like they were sitting in a room like, oh my gosh, there's a thousand books here. Well, how do we pick them? And the ones that were not disputed but were rejected or heretical are things like the Gospel of Thomas, the works of Andrew, okay? And if you go read them, they just don't have the ring of scripture or they say crazy things. Like the gospel of Thomas talks about how Jesus said, in order to get into heaven, a woman must become a man. Jesus did not say that. And those are just, that's just an example. I'm just saying like, you and I might not have time to go read all these other works. Were there other books written by believers at that time that were helpful? Yes, Just like C.S. Lewis writes stuff that's helpful and Max Licato writes stuff that's helpful, that doesn't mean it should be Scripture. And our early church fathers were able to make that distinction. And so should we. Okay. I feel like there's like a heart issue connected to this one. And I'm not sure if I can totally articulate it, but I feel like there's like, but Christian, like, so you will never until like Michael J. Fox brings his car here, be able to travel back in time and make sure that this happened the way you wanted it to happen. Right? You will never be able to go back there and, and sit there and make sure like it wasn't messed up in some way. But I just think you need to like, I think we need to check our hearts a little bit and just say, where is my heart in coming to this, this work? That was, you know, like, like start back at the beginning. Think about generations of Christians who weren't like living in prosperity and being like told, you know, living in America during like the, the 40s and 50s where everybody was a Christian or whatever. Like they were hunted down, persecuted and killed and, and, and giving everything they had to preserve the word of God. And, and you can just go like read even the history of the Bible. Like we are so cavalier with the Bible. There's some great testimonies out there about what people have done to have a Bible, to hold on to a Bible in countries where having a Bible is illegal. People who have sacrificed their lives to go into countries to distribute Bibles so that people can have Bibles so that they can know the word of God. It's like, it's like if you ate lobster every day for dinner, at some point you'd be like, eh, lobster's just okay. I like lobster, by the way. Not that I ever eat it, which is why I like it so much. But when you, when you do, like, we're, we're, just, we're just, like, spoiled about the Word of God. We have it on our computers, on our phones, in our room. We can read 20,000 different translations. Like, we can argue about it and act like somehow we've become superior to it. And yet, all along, the early church fathers and mothers thought of the word of God as a lifeline that they held onto as an anchor to their soul. So 
You know, it gives me comfort to know this, but also at the same time, like I, I, I do just have a trust in God that he's able to shepherd this process. So both of those are there for me. Are we reading what they wrote? Yeah, like this is another teaching that I've given. So I can send this out. We went over this when we did the historical Jesus. No, when we did how to read your Bible six, seven months ago, went over this a little bit. But like, you can also just look up great videos on Alpha. Uh, they do a really great video on this or BibleProject.com does some great videos on this. But like, basically, there's a, the way you analyze whether a, an ancient source is legitimate and accurate is, was there a lot of time between when it, the event happened and when it got written, was there enough time for legend to creep in? No, all this stuff was written within a generation of it happening. Um, a lot of the stuff that, like, there's some great stuff you can dig into. The oral tradition was like two years. Some of the stuff that was two years after his resurrection is written in the Bible. There's like no time for that to happen. We have an incredible number of copies so that manuscripts upon manuscripts, so you can look all through them and be like, well, 5,000 of them have this word and 100 of them have this word, so we should go with this word. This verifiable um, There's internal evidence, like I talked a little bit about last week, how there's names. They name people um, that would be alive that could refute that. They put in counterproductive content, which if you were writing a legend wouldn't make any sense. Like, why would Jesus at one point walk into a town and it says he couldn't do any miracles? What? Why would you put that in there if you're trying to write this legend of this man who can do everything? Jesus hangs on the cross and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why would you put that in there if you're trying to show that he's God? Like they put counterproductive, confusing stuff in there. And what that does is tell you more about how authentic this work is. Okay. Are there errors and discrepancies? This is another one that people, I think, is a smokescreen argument that really is, I'd rather not be accountable for what's in the word of God. So I'm just going to say there's errors in it so I don't have to submit to it. And I would just tell you, like, that, go read about this. The, the people who talk about there being errors in it have a bone to pick. There's something going on there because this, there's one guy who wrote that there's like 400,000 errors. And how he got to that number is he found like uh, a type, you know, a typo, so to speak, or a misspelling, and then he multiplied it by the number of manuscripts, right? To say that that's like, you know, that, I mean, that's how he got to that number. And you go read about it. I'm not making this up. You can go read The Problem of God by Mark Clark in the chapter on the Bible talks, deals with that guy specifically who talks about the 400,000 mistakes, okay? 95.5% of what we're reading, what you're holding right here is accurate, right? To the best of research that we have at this point with the original manuscripts. 95.5%. There's parts in your Bible, if you go read them uh, at the end of uh, Mark, I believe. The, so the story of the woman caught in adultery and the Great Commission, not the one that happens in Matthew, but the one that happens in the end of Mark, I believe. Those will be in italics in your Bible. And if you read the footnote, it'll say, these weren't in a lot of manuscripts. So it's possible someone else put this in here. There's like, we're not, the, the, the people who put the Bible together, aren't, we're not hiding this crap. Like, sorry, we're not hiding this stuff, right? Like, I, I don't know, I don't know why it's so like easy to just misrepresent this, that it's like, you know, oh, they just pulled one over on billions of people. Like, no, like this is, there's some stuff in here that we're not sure where it came from, and we'll tell you about that. There's some words that we might get lost in translation. We'll try to tell you about that. You know, why are there like two angels at one account and one angel at another account of the resurrection of Jesus? Right? Some of that has to do with the fact that this started out as oral tradition. 
Some of it has to do with the fact that there's multiple eyewitnesses. But oral tradition of the Jewish culture, if you would study this and know this, if we would study this and know this, we would know that oral tradition maintains the core but gives liberty to the details. I'll tell you a quote about that. So this guy, I, I think this guy's probably one of the smartest scholars you'll ever find. Um, he says, the variations between different versions of the same story in the tradition do not indicate a cavalier attitude, okay, or a lack of historical interest. No, they just tell you that it's oral storytelling. So you just gotta, you just gotta understand, like, that really bothers me. Why is there two angels? Why is there one? If this was really inerrant, okay, let's just, Oh my goodness, let's, let's talk about inerrancy. James, what do you think? Four minutes for inerrancy? <laughs> All right, so inerrancy. Like people say, well, the Bible, it doesn't have any errors in it, but yet there are, there are some errors in it. What do you, okay. Like when people say inerrant, they're not saying it's like 100% no mistakes. Okay, what we're understanding by inerrant is that what Jesus teaches is true. That the theological doctrine that is communicated by the Bible is not false. It is true. Now, there, there might be some discrepancies which actually lend towards the authenticity of the document. There might be some historical stuff that's like maybe not quite right. Although, archaeology has yet to prove anything really wrong with it. Okay, there's this really interesting thing like in the 50s, for a long time, John was considered with lesser of the four gospels because he had some stuff in there like Solomon's portico that didn't exist. And yet, lo and behold, archaeologists found it like 50 years ago. And it was like, oh, John was right. Okay, but even with that, this isn't a science book. Like, why does Jesus talk about the mustard seed and say it's the smallest seed? Didn't, wasn't he God? Didn't he know about the orchid seed? Orchid seeds are smaller. Okay, that wasn't the point. He wasn't giving a botany lesson. He was talking about the kingdom of God. It was a theology lesson. Right? I'm just saying, like, these are the things that we get caught up on. And can I just tell you, it's like, what's that expression? Straining out the gnat and eating the camel or swallowing the camel or <laughs> biting your nose off the spike. I don't know. There's a lot of expressions. It, what if... You come before the creator of all things, and he's like, why didn't you follow me? And you're like, well, the mustard seed. <laughs> I'm just, I know that's funny, but it's also not funny. It's actually serious. It's life and death serious. Who is God? Who are you? What are you created to do? But I don't know about the mustard seed. I don't know about the two angels and the one angel. I don't know about that council of monks. Okay, then you have to throw the whole thing out and go find your own way. And then come back and tell me how that works for you. Because that's exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. At the very beginning, the snake said to Eve, God didn't really say that. God didn't really write this. Guys, it's the same exact trick. Don't fall for it. The Word of God is not some peripheral part of your faith that some in Christianity today would tell you is another sacred text that you can get some good stuff out of, but don't box yourself in and don't put God in this box. People talk about that. That is such dangerous thinking. The word of God, if it's the word of God, came from God, right? And therefore carries authoritative weight. Should we take it literally? That's the last one. Worship team, come on up. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Should we take it literally? It depends what you mean by literally. 
right? There's a wooden literalism you could do with this, and you're going to get in lots of trouble. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to lust, gouge it out. We should all be blind. And also probably not have hands because it tells you if you steal. I mean, some of us shouldn't even have hands. Cut your hand off, right? What does he mean by that? You know what he means by that? It doesn't take a rocket scientist. Don't hide behind that and there disbelieve the Bible. But it also doesn't mean, like, if wooden literalism is right here, it also doesn't mean everything's just an allegory. I had somebody once tell me that, Abraham, there's no way I can believe that God would ask Abraham to offer his son Isaac on the altar. It must have been a dream. That's not scholarship. That's not like I've invested and learned a lot about ancient Hebrew culture. No, that's us reading ourselves into the Bible saying, as a Western 21st century white person, that offends me. So it must have been a dream. It's, it's somewhere in between, and we have to walk that line of figuring out. The, but yes, this is literally the word of God. Okay, one more thing. <sighs> yep, yep. Uh, we didn't talk about inspiration. If you want to know more about inspiration, shoot me an email. Okay, I wanted to end with this quote, because this quote is phenomenal. Look at all these slides. I had 34. All right. Okay, that's good stuff. All right, so here's, here's the, from Augustine. He says, if we're perplexed by any apparent contradiction in Scripture, it is not allowable to say the author of this book is mistaken. Instead, either the manuscript is faulty, or the translation is wrong, or you have not understood. See, here's this thing that's happened that's new, is we're relatively new in modern culture, is where we have put ourselves as judges of God and his word. And we need them to line up with us, as opposed to if we read something in the Bible that doesn't agree with us, we're not like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's something in my life that needs to change. Maybe there's something in my worldview that needs to be challenged, right? So with that in mind, all right, we're going five minutes over. Okay, with that in mind, can I just, I want to end a slightly more encouraging note than I have been. So here's three things I would say if you're wrestling with this stuff. I hope that if you're honestly wrestling with these questions, you don't feel, I hope that you feel I was here to take those things seriously. And if you want to talk further, like my door to my, you know, basement office at my house is open, right? Like you literally, you can walk right in. No, but text me, we'll talk. But at the same time, I don't want to just be like, everybody's okay. Like, this is actually important, I think. The inspiration, authoritative word of God is important. So here's what I would say. Three pieces of advice. First, be humble before the word of God. Let's, let's allow, this is a decision we have to make. You don't have to do this. I'm just saying my advice in approaching the word of God is allow the word of God to read you. Don't just you read it. Okay? Allow the word of God to have authority over your life. Will you come under the word of God like Jesus did? Right? Didn't he say that he died on the cross to fulfill the word of God? So will we come under the word of God like Jesus? Let's be humble before the word. I'm not saying don't ask good questions. I'm not saying don't pursue those questions. But at the same time, be humble before it. Maybe as you read things that are hard for you, don't assume they must be wrong. Okay? Number two, seek God's truth, not your own. This is for all of us, including me. It's really easy to read our own truth into this when we hear stuff that we don't like. Let's, let's, 
try to seek God's truth and not our own. Number three, it's not all going to happen at once. I heard a person talk about reading the Bible like putting a puzzle together. I like to put puzzles together. You know when you're putting a puzzle together and you find a piece you don't know where it goes? Do you throw it away? Evan does. Does anybody else throw it away? Do you think that because you can't find where it goes, the whole puzzle's broken and you throw the whole puzzle away? Some of us. Kate, you're a puzzle doer. You just set it aside and you work on other parts. And eventually what happens with that piece? You find how it fits. That's what reading the Bible is like. You might come across something that's like, I don't get it. How could God say this? That's okay. Put it aside. Continue your journey with the Lord. Maybe in five years, 10 years, I am personally still discovering this. Yesterday, I listened to this podcast by this really smart apologist talking about the Old Testament. And I was like, I never thought of that or knew that. It was another puzzle clicked into place. I could have left God 20 years ago over that. So be okay with the process. (laughs) 